When you think of your life, are things just okay? Or are you wildly passionate and in love with it? Or is your marriage just meh? Is your job just meh? Are other areas of your life just meh? Well, today's guest, Carrie Schwer, is a gray area lifestyle coach, and she does not believe in living a life that is just meh, that is just okay, that is average. Gray areas for Carrie are much like sticky floors for me, but I want you to tune in and hear how she took her life from one big gray blob into a world filled with vibrant color. You are listening to the podcast From Now to Next, the podcast that empowers women to get seen, get heard, and get promoted. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, and I have made it my mission to help you break free from the sticky floors, those limiting beliefs and toxic behaviors to bust through the glass ceiling. I'm obsessed with all things growth and abundance, and I'm here to talk you through the tried and true secrets to get you to level up your career and your life. We talk about the hard stuff here, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, fear, and burnout. So pull up a seat, pop it in earbud, and let's dive in. Carrie Schwer is an executive gray area lifestyle coach, and she empowers business owners and leaders to end the facade and gain control over their lives. She specializes in the gray areas of life, which we are going to dive into today. But I want to kick it off by welcoming Carrie. And Carrie, how are you today? I am so great, Erica. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to share all about the gray areas with the audience. I am thrilled, but let's kick it off. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm an executive lifestyle coach. And really what that boils down to is that I work with business owners and leaders that are in this one of many gray areas of their life. This could be with their habits, with their relationships and their marriage, with their career, with their health, with their habits, like I mentioned, uh, with their spirituality. It's this place of just feeling like you're existing. You know, like life isn't so bad, but it's not that great either. And it's it's really about having a lack of clarity, direction, feelings of uncertainty and doubt and having emotional conflict. So they're just, in, despite of all their outside achievements and successes, they're saying, what now? What now? What is next for me? And I think everyone that listens to this podcast is going to hear this and really resonate because especially as a busy mom, like we are just in it day to day. And oh, yeah. it often is like the, the days are just groundhog's day, right? They're yes. just coming and they're going and they're coming and they're going. We barely have time to celebrate. So talk to me a bit about this area of the gray and the clients that you have, where do you see it showing up the most? You know, well, when they first come to me, because I do speak so much about gray area drinking, which is my own story and my gray area marriage, they tend to be attracted to that. Uh, so most times it's within a habit, you know, hey, Carrie, can you just help me focus on reducing my alcohol consumption or helping me with my relationship with alcohol? And then, I, then I'll be good, right? But it's... <laughs> We all know that that is just the, that's the facade. That's the, that's the bandaid over the real problem. So I am a life coach by trade. I don't love saying that I'm a life coach because it's such a watered down term anymore, but I do also have leadership executive training and coaching. And plus I've been trained with trauma and motivational interviewing and NLP and all the things. So I really spend a lot of time with my clients diving deep into what's really 
controlling them and what are the thoughts and the beliefs that are creating this identity for them and why they feel like they need to have a drink or something else to cope or escape from their day. And it's that work that is, you know, people are they're kind of afraid to go there, especially if they have a lot of outwardly success already built into their world. And they're like, but I got it. I got it. I'm fine. The whole I'm fine, you know, which is really a four letter word. We know this. Nobody's really fine. It's it's always a bandaid for something deeper. And so I really like to get in there and, and work on the real problems and the real solutions for yeah, them. Healing back the onion. That's yes. What Yes. So you alluded to it a little bit, but what is your living in the gray story? Well, my gosh, it started honestly when I was seven. When I was seven years old, I I was at my parents' house. My parents were still married, not for much longer, but they were still married at that time. And I was outside in a hot summer day in St. Louis, and I was playing jacks in my driveway. Of course, this was in the 70s, so that's how old I am. But anyway, <laughs> uh, gave away my age. And I remember thinking to myself, is this all there is to life? Because if so, this just isn't all that great. And then I remember thinking, I'm seven. Like, what seven-year-old thinks about these things, right? Well, I should be out playing with friends, and yet I'm sitting here contemplating my own life. The only time I was ever really happy is when we went on the occasional, every so often, family vacation. And I remember just trying to find myself at that age. And I was such a rebel and I wanted to stand out. I wanted to be noticed and I was not being noticed by the ones that I needed to be noticed by. So I created my own havoc, if you will. And one of those decisions that I made at age seven was that I was going to become a cigarette smoker. And so I stole a cigarette from my mom's best friend, Gladys, who lived directly behind us. <laughs> Gladys smoked cool cigarettes. I'll never forget it because I wanted to be cool. And I smoked it. And I told my mom, I declared to her, I'm going to be a smoker. And she said, I don't think so. And I was like, no, I really am. And I made that decision. And it's funny what happens when you make a decision and you declare something over your life and you declare your identity, you become it. And little did I know how how relevant and prevalent those words would become because by the time I turned 11, I was smoking half a pack a day. Wow. And I really started looking at my life like, I, I just, this is it? Like, there's got to be more to life than this. And it really started me down a kind of a path that created all kinds of crazy issues and problems for myself and you know, but I look back on those times now, I've done so much work on myself that it's like, I'm so incredibly grateful to that little girl who made those decisions all the way back then because she really set the path for who I've become today. And I realized the importance of identity. And then in my 30s, you know, I was married fairly young in my early 20s. I'm still married 34 plus years. But, you know, when I hit my 30s, I was uh, discovered the love of wine and everything about it. You know, it first started with Rionuti Rionuti Lambrusco. If people remember, <laughs> it was the worst wine ever. But as as I got older, my taste, you know, got much uh, more refined, if you will. And by the time I I was at my height of my drinking career, 
I was, you know, going after the more expensive $50, $100 bottles of wine because I became such a wine snob and a wine connoisseur, part of that working in the food and beverage business for a number of years. And I realized that wine was doing a few things for me. It was helping me feel better about myself. It was helping me relax throughout my day, my busy day. It was helping me erase the fact that my husband and I weren't spending much time together and uh, kind of helped to erase all that for me as wine will, as all alcohol will, right? It just has this beautiful uh, camouflage effect that it creates for our life. And little did I know that my once in a while occasional glass of wine was now becoming a nightly glass of wine that became two glasses every night and eventually three glasses almost every night. And I realized that, uh uh-oh, there's a problem here. I think I am drinking a bit too much and probably need to do something about this. So in 2014, I had those little internal voices talking to me. I think you're drinking too much. How much is too much? I'm Googling. I'm an alcoholic. What does that even mean? Oh my gosh. Like, how do I fix this? What do I do? And I was in a pre-contemplation stage. I was not ready to address my relationship, but I was having those internal questions. That lasted two years. In 2016, I had my own enough. The day had come. And that was just uh, a day of me drinking all day. It was 4th of July, 2016, came home trashed. My older son or my younger son at the time, who was 23, said, wow, mom, you're super trash. You must, you know, really had a good time at this party. And I responded back with some words that no mom should ever say to their kid, a lot of it profanity. And uh, he reminded me of that the next day and at the dinner table, no less. And that was enough for me to just crumble into feeling like the worst mother, the worst human ever. And that was my wake up call that I needed to address this problem head on. And uh, I started doing my research. I'd moved in from pre-contemplation to contemplation now is in preparation. And I'm like, okay, let me gather some information. Let me gather some facts. Let me see what my next steps are. And it took me six weeks. But finally on August 15, 2016, I woke up that morning and said, okay, I put my feet on the floor and I said, God, I'm done. I promise you I'm done. I'm just done. And I ended up going to AA for several months. Um, I love AA. I think it's an amazing program. Was not a good fit for me. It really focused on those that need recovery. And I was not an alcoholic. I was a gray area drinker, but I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't understand what that term was. I never heard of it, but I knew I was an alcoholic. It just wasn't lining up for me. And that identity piece that I shared with you when I was seven really was standing out for me. If I'm going to declare anything to myself, it's not going to be that I'm an alcoholic. It's going to be that I'm empowering, that there's something better here. There's something greater for myself. And that really became the catalyst for me at that point of the path that I'm on now was how can I do this better? What can I do to get out of this situation and saying, hi, I'm carrying, I'm an alcoholic, because it felt like it was just tearing my soul apart. And I ended up working with a coach and that coach is the one who really helped see the truth, helped me find my real self, helped me uh, reshape my identity. And he ironically said at that time, I was making six figures at a job I loved. And he said, you know, Carrie, I think someday you're going to be a coach yourself. I think you're going to start your own business. And I think you're going to share your story with the world. 
And I busted out laughing and said, hell no. Like you're smoking crack, dude. That's never going to happen. Little did I know he was right. And here I am over five years later doing my thing. Doing the damn thing. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So you said gray area drinker. What does that even mean? So a gray area drinker is someone who is more than socially drinking, but not severely abusing alcohol. They are abusing alcohol to the point where they fall into alcohol abuse disorder in the mild category, sometimes even into medium category. And the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism states that there are three categories of alcohol abuse disorder, mild, medium, and severe. And when you get to the severe part, right, you no longer have a choice. You no longer have a choice. And for gray area drinkers, this is the biggest uh, delineation of, of what I can share is that it is still a choice when you are a gray area drinker. You have the ability to choose to not drink or drink. When you become severely abused, uh, abusive to alcohol or with alcohol, you no longer have that choice. You have to be able to drink in order to survive a day, right? So there's variations of gray area drinking. It's such a wide spectrum, Erica. About 50% of the population that consumes alcohol may be in this gray area. It's huge. And so while somebody might say, but I only have a couple glasses a week, you know, that's great, right? When we get to the place of binge drinking, You know, like I don't drink all week, but on the weekends I might have, you know, four or five. Well, if you're doing that in less than a two hour period, that's binge drinking and you are abusing alcohol, period. You know, they state the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. They state that for women, you can drink up to one standard drink per day. For men, it's double that. It's 14 drinks for them. It's seven for women. But we're talking a standard drink here. Right. So let me give you an idea. Wine is five ounces. That's that's a standard drink. So that means if you're drinking six ounces every day, then you're abusing alcohol, right? And let's be honest, when I was drinking, I wasn't pouring just five ounces of wine. Oh, hell no. I was pouring closer to eight or nine ounces saying that was one glass. Drinking two of those, there's two and a half, or I'm sorry, there's four and a half glasses of wine in a standard bottle. It's 24.5 ounces for most bottles of wine. So now you're looking at, you know, you drink a whole bottle of wine and, and on the weekends and, you know, there you go. You you do that a couple of times a week. Yeah. yeah. So it's very easily done where you get into that abuse category. And this is where it becomes sticky. Mm-hmm. It becomes a very sticky place to be. And which is why I love speaking about it for people to really raise their hand. And, and that's honestly how Great Tonic got started. My business has evolved since I started five years ago, but my purpose and my goal was for people to raise their hand and say, oh my gosh, maybe I'm in the gray area too, before they get too far down a path of addiction that they can raise their hand and say, wow, I I might be in this gray area. What can I do about it? What, what changes can I start to make? And that's really my specialty. My zone of genius is in that gray area. I think it's so powerful to give people this option of saying it's not working for me before it is truly problematic, like life endangering problematic, because it seems to me like there's either like you drink and you're good and rock and roll, or you have a problem and there's no in between, which is the gray area. There's none of that. And I think that makes it really hard for people to say, maybe this is not for me. 
That's right. And, you know, you brought up a really good point that society for a very long time has dictated to us. It is very binary. You either have a problem or you don't. You're either an alcoholic or you're not. And that is so far from the truth. We do have a lot of gray area drinkers among us. And here's here's what I'll share. If the listener, you, are saying to yourself right now, wow, she is speaking directly to me right now. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this little something, something inside my belly right now, and it's hitting me in the gut. Then you probably have a problem. If you think it's a problem, it's probably a problem. And it's the time for you to start really tuning into those inner voices and asking yourself, at what point am I going to allow this to continue? And am I willing to address this before it becomes an issue. And the problem with the gray area, I mean, there's good and bad, right? The problem is nothing bad has happened. Most gray area drinkers never have a rock bottom. They don't have something that forces the change. Sort of like with me, my son didn't force me to change. My conversation with him, feeling so incredibly embarrassed and ashamed and having the massive amounts of guilt with that is what provoked me to finally make that change. But those voices were there for two years. For two years, I let that seed cultivate. And finally, it was ready to be dealt with. And so my message has always been, if I'm just planting a seed for somebody, if that's all I'm doing for someone right now listening, then awesome. And if you want to take it a step further, what does that look like? There are definite ways that you can really attack this. And maybe you're not even ready to attack it. Maybe it's like, let me just dip my little teeny pinky toe in the pool and feel what this might feel like. There's options for you. And I just ask that you pay attention to those. That's it. Now, earlier you had mentioned like great area marriages. And I think that's something I also want to hone in on because I work with so many women and have talked to so many women that are like, well, yeah, this is just the stage of life we're in, right? Like they attribute it to something else. Yeah. But what do you see in these gray area marriages? Yes. That's just the stage we're in. Oh, that's such a common phrase, right? We're feeling like roommates. We're kind of drifting apart. The kids are out of the house now or the kids are so busy and our life is around around the kids and all that kind of stuff. I hear it and see it all the time. That is for sure a gray area marriage. And anytime you start to feel disconnected from yourself, your partner, your career, you're in a gray area. It's that disconnect. It's those those internal struggles that you have within that you're saying to yourself, again, it's not that bad. It's not like, you know, I want a divorce. Like, you know, I'll keep him around. You know, he's he's all right. <laughs> but there's there's not this deep desired love for, for each other anymore. It's like, you know, your roommates that have sex maybe once every two weeks, right? If that. So it's it's definitely when you get into that rut of the old familiar and you're not really having a conversation. And that's where Rob and I, my husband Rob, found ourselves four years ago. It's only four years ago. It seems like forever ago now, but four years ago in our 30th year of marriage, I'm the one who initiated it. I'm the one who said, hey, something, we're, we're not good. And if this is what the next 30 years is going to be like, I don't want it. We got to make some changes and we got to make some serious changes because at this point, you know, our kids had moved out. My youngest went off to college. My oldest moved out the same weekend with his girlfriend, now wife. And all of a sudden we're, we're empty nesters and we're going, holy cow, like, what do we do? 
And we, and we did pretty well there for the first year or two, but then we started, you know, he got busy with work, kept his head down. I was only a year into my own business. And, you know, I was so rich with ideas and excitement and energy. And he didn't want to hear it because his job was super stressful and hard. And when he came home, he just wanted to chill. And I'm like, Hey honey, guess what happened today? And he just didn't want to hear it. And we just started drifting off. And so I recognized, you know, not only that, not only was the communication off, but I was no longer really attracted to him. And I don't know if he was all that attracted to me. We both had started gaining a little bit of weight. You know, we were not really focusing on each other. The communication definitely was not there. And when I told him, I don't want this, if this is what it's going to be like, it rocked his world. And we dug deep and we worked on each other for five months. We never saw it. Um, we did speak to a friend. I mean, I'm a coach, right? So I have tons of coaching friends. So I did speak to one of my coaching friends that, that does coach couples. And we talked with him um, once and just started getting some basis for ourselves. But I do recommend that if somebody is in a gray area that you reach out to someone professional. And that is some work that I do also with, with couples is to really help them with their communication style. There's something else I use with my one-on-one clients and with my couples is this assessment that I do that helps them see each other in ways they've never seen each other before. It's measuring 13 of their traits and seeing what motivates them emotionally as well as behaviorally and, and where their brain is landing and where are their cognitive uh, channels at and really diving deep into how are they relating to each other. So I have some really awesome tools that help me with that. And that's honestly what helped Rob and I is for me to see him in a way that I've never seen him before, understanding that his lens is stability and my lens is affirmation. So I wasn't able to provide the stability part for him. He was not able to provide the affirmation I needed and we just were not connecting. And once we saw that in each other, we were able to create better conversations. Another thing we did was we bought a conversational deck of cards. If you ever seen those, it was called The End is the name of the deck. And it was specific for long-term couples. And we would play this card game every night, which is nothing more than pulling some questions and diving deep on them. Like, when was the last time that I made you upset? And where are you with it today? Mm. Very thought-provoking questions. When was the last time you looked at me with pride? When was that? And so like really tough, deep questions. And that opened up so much conversation. And it was not comfortable, but we had to go there. And ever so often we'll we'll play the game, especially if we're on a road trip. I'll pull them out and take them with us. And hey, let's let's dive deep again on some of our our stuff. You know, we've been together 37 years. That's a long time to be with somebody. And I'm always learning something new. And so marriage is, is a huge piece. And most of my clients are, you know, they've been married for a little bit, right? A little bit of time. So they have some of this going on and it's it's quite normal, you know, but it's not a it's not a place to settle. It's just not a place to settle. And that's my message is don't settle for being stuck in a gray area. You know, life is too short. It's too precious. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you all the way from the age of seven was that if it did not light you up and just bring you happiness and joy, it wasn't for you. And maybe mm -hmm. you didn't recognize that right away, but would you say that's how you're living your life now? And that's staying out of the gray area. 
Oh yes. And and if anything does not serve me anymore, I've I've come to the point. Thank you for gosh, I've never had anybody reflect that back. So thank you. Um <laughs> I am finding the older I get is that my tolerance level for things that don't light me up, I move on from it. Mm. Because I realize life is so precious and it is so short. And I really want to live life to the fullest. But I also been given this opportunity to impact others. And I take that responsibility extremely serious. And so for me, this is a gift. This is a privilege that I've been provided to help others, which is my whole life has been a complete setup. Everything that I've went through in my life has been this massive master plan of a setup for me to do this work. And I realize, you know, not everybody can see the gifts from their past, but really reconciling those inner thoughts and the past trauma and all of that to be where I am today has just been an incredible journey. And it's like, I'm not wasting one minute of it. So if something doesn't light me up, I'm moving on Mm. for sure. So when you think about these shades of gray, I imagine that sometimes it's like a continuum. It shifts perhaps, right? So like if you shift out of the gray, does that mean you're good? You're never going to shift back into the gray or? (laughs) (laughs) We will always have a gray area. That's That's the thing. So even now, you know, like right now, I will say that I'm in a slight gray area with my um, weight. I had gotten down to a a great place and the past month has been really stressful um, with some bigger projects and client uh, work that I've been working on retreats and, and things like that, that it has been stressful that I have not been prioritizing my food and my training. I have a personal trainer that I work out with. I still go, but you know, I'm not as tight as I want to. So that has become a gray area. And also, you know, a couple months ago, I started shifting a little bit and pivoting my focus inside of my business. And so for a while there, I was like, okay, which direction do I want to go? And there was a little bit of a gray area there. So we always will have a gray area somewhere that we're working on. So unfortunately, I'd like to say, no, you're always perfect and you're always in living color, but that's not always the case. You know, there's usually one area, whether it's with your purpose that you have for yourself in life, it's in a relationship that tends to be probably one of the biggest ones, your habits, your health, that's, you know, health and habits is huge mindset. That's another place where we get stuck, our spirituality you know, like maybe you're feeling disconnected from God or source creator, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you're just asking all these questions. You know, we got a lot of unrest going on in the world right now. So maybe it's, you know, like, gosh, do I even believe that there's anything protecting us? And why should I? And maybe you're turning an eye, you know, a blind eye to that. So there's multiple gray areas that we have. And again, it's any place that you have this internal struggle or conflict, despite the outside appearances and obvious successes that you have, there's this deep feeling, this gnawing at you of why is this all there is? What's next for me? Why do I feel like I'm in this place? Why do I feel like I've achieved all this stuff? And yet I can't find my way. Your work with gray areas is very similar with mine with sticky floors. And I tell people all the time, you're never, ever free from sticky floors. However, you do get better at recognizing when they show up and what you need to do to get back on track. That's right. 
That is exactly it. And recognizing them and, and also being able to respond rather than react to them. And that's what gets us into trouble is when we tend to overreact and react to things in a negative way. And typically that could be self-sabotaging. And uh, that's what gets you into trouble instead of responding with curiosity and approaching things with a, a childlike manner of, you know, how, how did this happen? What can I do to, to address this now? And being very curious with yourself and being gentle. One thing I want to touch on before we end today, and I saw this on your social media, but you talk about the pseudo control syndrome. And I have to say that slow, (laughs) but as someone who probably lives in the gray area of being a control freak, what does this mean? Yeah. So pseudo control syndrome is all about the need to always control everything in your life. And again, it may appear that you have everything under control. I have so many clients that really when, oh my gosh, when you, when they come to me, it's like, you would never imagine them feeling the way that they do inside because it appears like they have everything under control, their marriage, their business, their kids, their spouse, their, you know, all the things, right? Their habits. Nobody really knows what's really happening inside except for that person. And so pseudo control is exhausting because it is really a form of imposter syndrome along with this idea of needing to control everything so that they appear as though they're successful. And that takes a lot of energy. And I want to really speak into that. Oh my gosh, because when we get to that place that we are constantly trying to control every single thing in our life down to the nitty gritty T, including your hiding the truth of whatever it is that's going on really inside of you, whether that's your habits or your health, or again, maybe you're looking at some beautiful uh, hot guy at the gym or some hot chick, right? Like whatever it is, you know, maybe you're, you're not doing quite what you need to be doing, but yet you fight it and you have this, this pseudo control of I've got it. And that energy that that takes to keep up that facade is exhausting and it will wear you out. And eventually, again, you're not going to be able to have that choice. You're going to be so far deep into those shades of gray that you're going to be forced into making a change rather than it being a choice for you to decide what it is that you want now. When you were talking about that, the first word that I wrote down which equates in my sticky floor worlds was perfectionism Mm -hmm. and feeling this need for everything to be perfect. It reminded me of a story. One of my daughter's birthdays, we got this big, stupid, ridiculous blow up unicorn rainbow balloon. Right. And of course the day of the party, something happens to this rainbow balloon and it pops. I think we're like, I don't know, an hour away from the party starting. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I can go back to the store. I can pick up this balloon So I drive to the store. Of course, there's a long line because it's Saturday. I get this balloon, but everything about me is stressed because I've now added another chore to my day before said party. I am believing that I have to have this one balloon to have a good party. No one knew about this balloon, you know, but like I was putting so much emphasis that if I had this one thing. So that's what makes me think about like, if I have control over this one thing, then the party will be perfect. Everyone will see me as the perfect mom. I will have all my shit together. (laughs) When in reality, having my shit together would have been saying, screw the balloon. It doesn't matter. 
Yep. That's a, that's a great example. And it's, and it's surrendering to what is, and, you know, surrender, the word surrender, a a lot of, (laughs) it it totally is the opposite of pseudo control because there's no such thing as surrender. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm a leader. I'm a business owner. I'm a professional for crying out loud. I'm an executive. I got it. And so much of that pressure that someone puts on themselves, again, is so exhausting when they just want to be honest. There's something that happens when people share their truth with themselves. Freedom abounds, right? Freedom is there. There's so much freedom in the truth. And when you become truthful for yourself, is when you start to get better, is when you start to make some improvements. Because guess what? The truth is always going to set you free. And I know that's like such a cliche, but it is so true. It like takes off the bondage. Remember when I said, my coach said to me, and you're going to share your story with the world? I was like, dude, you are so crazy. That's never going to happen because I was so private. Again, I had the control. I was in pseudo control. Like no one's ever going to know about my secret. And the moment that I started sharing and sharing publicly and sharing it with my closest friends and my family is when everything started melting away. Like, oh my gosh, I've surrendered to what this is. And therefore I'm actually helping myself and helping others at the same time. So there's some beautiful things that happen when somebody says, you know what? maybe I just don't have to try so hard. Maybe I just don't need to try so hard. And that's when someone's at that place, I welcome you. I welcome you with open arms because that's where you need to be. You need to be willing to decide for something different in your life. So Carrie, the one question that I always ask my guests is what is the one piece of advice you would give that chain smoking seven-year-old little girl What is the one piece of advice you would give her now that you know all that you know? Oh my gosh. You know, well, my seven-year-old, I I probably would have spoken to my parents a little bit more about what I was feeling, but to give to the audience, because it's prevalent now in their life and their own life, again, is if you are feeling any sort of twinge inside of your belly or inside of your heart or your gut or in your head even that there's something going on that you need to address, whether it is pseudo control, or maybe you are drinking a little bit too much, or you're looking elsewhere outside the marriage and you're not happy, or your career is stalled, or maybe you have your own business and you're like, this sucks. I don't want it anymore, right? You're in that in-between space and those thoughts are keep fighting with themselves inside your head. Now's the time to pay attention to it and listen. Lean in, stop ignoring it. Because it's not going to get better on its own. It's only going to get better when you decide you want it to get better. Mm, I love it. And this is airing in December. We are getting ready. We are gearing up for New Year's resolutions, all the things. Yes. I know people are going to hear this and they're going to want to figure out how they can get in touch with you, how they can work with you. Where should they go? What should they do? Yes, please go to my website, Gray Tonic. It's G-R-A-Y-T-O-N-I-C, graytonic.com. I have a new program that's starting in the new year. It's called Decide 90. And I'm not going to give you any more clues as of right now. I'll just tell you that if you are in that decision-making process of, I don't want to be in the gray anymore, I have a couple areas that I want to work on, this is the program for you. It will magically and drastically change and improve your life. I'm taking it off of part of it's going to be a former uh, course that I just retired that has had a hundred percent satisfaction 
and uh, rate on that out of everyone that was surveyed. And that was really focused on habits. And this one is going to be a little bit more robust with some other areas of gray. So come on in to decide 90. We'll love to have I love you. it. Start your year in full living color. No shades of gray. That's right. That's right. We're ending that, that facade and that BS. It's time for you to step into what you want for yourself. I love it. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much for your time today. Wow, friends. I hope that today's episode with Carrie gives you all of the motivation and that push that you need to really take a look at those areas of your life that are just myth, that are just okay, because you deserve so much better than just an okay life, just an okay friendship, just an okay marriage. You deserve amazingness and awesomeness and passion and Y'all, if you need that help to get out of just the gray, do it. Now, thank you so much for listening. Y'all, I am just so grateful for you. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And maybe leave a review. I would be so grateful. All right, y'all. Until next time. Bye.